CRISPR is a technique for altering the human genome. It might be the most powerful tool for biological modification that we have ever discovered. In this episode, we explore CRISPR, how it works, why it exists in the natural world, and the implications of being able to modify DNA so easily. Jeff Ralston is a partner at Y Combinator. He wrote an article entitled Hacking DNA, the story of CRISPR, Ken Johnson, and the Gene Drive. And since Jeff is not a biologist himself, he's actually the perfect person to explain CRISPR to an audience of non-biologists. Jeff comes from an engineering and computer science background. And since he's an investor, he's also great at explaining the pace at which CRISPR might make it to market and how it might converge with some of the other futuristic trends that we are seeing so regularly today. It's a really exciting conversation I had with Jeff and really enjoyable. Um, if you're interested in hosting a show for Software Engineering Daily yourself, we are looking for engineers and journalists and hackers who want to work with us on content. This is a paid opportunity. We pay $300 for shows that we publish. Uh, you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash host to find out more. We do have a high-quality bar, but we walk you through the process. So if, if you're eager to publish material to build your personal brand or to just do some journalism, we want to be your podcasting back end. And the Software Engineering Daily store is now open. If you want to buy a branded t-shirt or hoodie or a mug and support the show, it would be great. We'd get some money out of it. So... You can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash store to find that store and buy some stuff. Now let's get on with the show. Jeff Ralston is a partner at Y Combinator. Jeff, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You wrote a blog post called Hacking DNA, the story of CRISPR, Ken Thompson, and the gene drive. Why did you write this article? Well, uh... I have been fascinated by uh, synthetic biology in general, um, sort of the merger of, of biotechnology and software engineering for, uh, for a while, um, for several years. I, I sort of had a, a, an epiphany one evening when I, when I couldn't sleep and, and, and realized that the, the programming of the human and indeed any genome was maybe not imminent, but what coming soon and that the results of that were going to be staggering and important. And, um, and when I, when I learned about CRISPR, I realized it was, it was a, um, it was one of the key missing pieces that was going to accelerate, uh, that technology and that future that it was going to impose on the human race <laughs> pretty, pretty rapidly. Um, then, uh, I learned about gene drive and, and Kevin Esfeldt's work on Gene Drive, and it just reminded me of this of this incredible hack that Ken Thompson did, and so it just felt like something that needed to be written. And I felt like even though there'd been a, a bunch of really good jobs done um, talking about um, CRISPR and what it meant, I, I just think didn't think it was really in people's consciousness yet. And I think it's so important, so transformative, that I wanted to do everything I could to um to help it be better known that this that this uh i think impending 
change for humanity was lurking out there and there just wasn't enough conversation about it. And I just wanted to uh, make, you know, just help help make that conversation happen, I guess. You're not a professional biologist, but <laughs> Far you from see, it. well, I mean, you see a lot of cutting edge science at Y Combinator. And I think, you know, part of the job of a venture capitalist is to assess things that are somewhere in between research and go-to-market viable products and there's a continuum between those things and you never want to be you never want to be too far on the side of research where it's like okay like quantum computing probably like quantum computing 5 or 6 or t- maybe 10 years ago or maybe even today I honestly am not up to date with quantum computing but that's something where 10 years ago we could have talked about quantum computing but the the ways that quantum computing is going to impact uh, the world and the pace at which it's going to do that is you know less clear and you probably wouldn't have been made you know made good money investing in quantum computing ten years ago and and it takes you know it, it takes a venture capitalist mindset to perhaps translate those the state of science into the viability of that science having an effect on the broader world. Yeah. You know, there's a, um, there's a famous investor who responded to the question, um, uh, you know, what's the secret to your success by saying that he always sold too soon. I think the, um, (laughs) one of the secrets to startup investing is to always invest too soon. <laughs> I know that's that's a little contradictory, but it is true that you have to sort of get a little bit ahead. Now, the, 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 the harsh fact is if you really invest too soon in a technology, if you invest in quantum computing 10 years ago, you're probably going to lose your money because a company can do great work, but if there's no market or the, the technology just isn't ready, they'll run out of money and the, the company will probably fail. So you want to be sort of too soon but ironic, like not really too soon, just a little bit before everyone else so that the technology has a chance to flourish at the right moment in time for for everything to come together, the market, the the viability, et cetera. But by the way, we at YC, we, we did invest in quantum computing, but not 10 years ago, two years ago with this incredible company called Rigetti. And, um, and we're really excited about the work they're doing. Yeah, they just raised a big Series A. They did, yeah. And it's funny because it seems like there's not really, you know, when you think about it, what are the technologies today that resemble quantum computing 10 years ago? It's kind of, I mean, what are they? I mean, maybe it's like, um, you know, interplanetary transport. Like you can't, you can't invest in interplanetary transport today because you have no idea what that market is really going to, or maybe you can, I, don't, I guess I don't, I don't know the deal flow well enough at YC to know that, but it's kind of, I don't know, it might be a sign of the pace of technology that it's hard, you know, 10 years ago, you could have said, okay, quantum computer is going to impact something or genetic editing is going to impact something at some point in the distant future, but we can't really invest in it today. Today, it's like, Okay, the future is it, it seems closer and judging by the <laughs> fact that you can't really you can't really think of an investment that is implausible today. You know one of uh, I think that's actually incredibly well said that the future is closer. <laughs> the future, you know, one of the um the effects of that is have you noticed how mainstream science fiction is now? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't even read. I don't. Even, I used to read science fiction. Now I don't even read it. I just read the news. It's, it's really true, right? You know, um, the but it used to be for 
geeks like me who let you know science fiction was this this you know little corner of the world that was ours forget that right it science fiction is is everyone saying i think it's because the future is so close like what can you talk about that that we're not quite ready to invest in maybe space elevators not quite ready <laughs> we don't but and maybe asteroid mining although people are starting to invest in asteroid mining so maybe it's not quite too late too early for that. So, um, you know, you, you might have said neural interfaces uh, uh, about <laughs> three months ago, but apparently that's not too early to invest in. And, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the ability for people to take science fiction and <clears throat> turn it into science fact uh, with incredible rapidity is is stunning now i think it's 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 you know it's alvin toffler all over again it's the theme of our world it's future shock the future is closer it's here now and it's moving ever ever more quickly closer to us right the the it's it's hard to escape and i i you know this is a bit of a, a tangent but i personally think that one of the reason it feels like such a disruptive age in sort of every sense, not just in science and technology and investing, but in politics is, is a function of that effect. The fact that people feel unsure about their future and unsure about what comes next. And, and that causes incredible nervousness and disruption and change and we see it all around us now I, I, it seems like it's an unavoidable facet of our time yeah and you know not to further us down this tangent but you know this morning it's like you know i opened up hacker news and at the top of hacker news was some api for uh for replicating a voice you know it's just like where you can give it a small sample of somebody's voice uh and and you can just, you know, you can replicate that voice saying whatever you want. And I see that and I'm like, now I need to, like, do I need to email my family and tell them, hey, be on the lookout for scams uh, uh, where it's, you know, sounds like somebody's voice that you're familiar with, it, except they're saying weird stuff. Like, I actually am going to have to send an email to my parents to say, you have to watch out for for this kind of scam. It's like, and it's just like when I see these kinds of new technologies, you know, sometimes it just raises my anxiety because I think of the worst case scenario. It, it's so funny. You know, if you think of the um, the way of, I was just saying how the way science fiction turns into science fact. Um, remember, like the original Star Trek, when, you know, they they went back in time and saw a future. I think the, I think the, the, the episode was, you know. Kirk and McCoy and one other maybe Spock go back in time and they're trying to save the world and there's there's this guy there who 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 was in our time but has advanced technology because he's really an alien and he's dictating to a typewriter which seemed you know like he's talking to it and it would type it's like wow that's so amazing but you know not so much and 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 I just want to relate that to to what you just pointed out remember in the ter original Terminator movie you know, from 20 oh, yeah. oh, yeah. years ago, where he yep. mimics the voice of, you know, her mom or whomever. That's just the technology you just talked about. That's all it is, is, is you know, and so why wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, an Android be able to do it? All they need is that little module <laughs> that you just talked about, and they can sound like you. And, you know, it's really, you know, uh, 
you think about security in this modern age and it's kind of terrifying, right? It's, it's kind of terrifying that, you know, you, you set yourself up with two-factor authentication and you start to feel good because you got your phone and you carry it with you everywhere you go and you know that if you want to log into Gmail, it's going to text you and, you know, you're okay. Except then you find out that uh, it's really pretty easy to steal someone's phone number, <laughs> Right? Um, yeah. There's uh, there's actually like two or three different mechanisms you can use to either steal someone's phone number, steal their text, whatever. Right. So that's not that safe. And then they could steal your phone number and your voice. Yes. And have all this information about you. They could tell you, oh no, it's me. Here's my social security number. Here's the addresses, the f- last four addresses I've lived, which is all more or less publicly available. It's yeah. kind of it's a it's stunning and scary you just yeah the, the fact of the matter is you want to not like the best thing to do is not be a target because <laughs> if they come after that's you, right. you're in trouble that's right it is a social pressure to um well i guess not be a target whatever that means i mean i i did i did a show with pin drop security and it is comforting to know that there are some technologists who are working on this really hard all the different vulnerabilities in the voice area yeah but it um, just makes me you know, I think all of us are still living in denial. Yeah, and, um, in a vulnerable I, state. I mean, I need to. I need to get a YubiKey. <laughs> I need. Right. I need to. I, and I haven't. And I. I need to. I shouldn't even be saying that on a podcast, right? Because, like, there's too many people who listen to this. It's scary, right? It's. It's. We're. we're this isn't exactly the topic we're going to talk about, but. But. Um, but it's scary. You know, human bodies are big computers, and our genetic code is similar to binary. The main difference is that humans invented the compil- the compilation of binary. So we can encode and decode things in binary. We can compress. We can encrypt. With the human genome, we actually have to reverse engineer the decoding and encoding process, the nucleotide sequences, how much progress have we made in our understanding of how these coded nucleotide sequences translate to the higher level organic function that we uh, that we'd like to be able to control and engineer? Yeah. Um, so the big caveat here is, um, is I'm not a biologist and I'm, <laughs> I'm far from expert in, in these fields and um, uh, you know, the cool thing is, and I really recommend is you grab someone like Jennifer Doudna or, or, um, or Jennifer uh, Doudna. Okay. I'll, I'll add that to my Fang list. Zhang, you know, the people who, who really invented CRISPR and, and, right. and, and, you, and, 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 and they'll do a better job of answering this question. And it's actually funny that, um, you know, whenever you like software people start, start talking about biology, it kind of pisses biologists off. And it, you know, some of the comments to to my post were 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 a little bit angry because there's so much simplification. You have no idea. You got the metaphor wrong. You you think that you know you software people think it's a simple matter of programming and the incredible complexity of protein folding and and the the expression of of genes and um, the interaction with the environment. It's nothing like you think in your little digital minds, in your silicon substrates. It's not that way in the squishy um, 
wet world of biology. And they're of course right, but I think that they're also they're also kind of missing the larger picture because for me, um, I mean, the answer to your question is, uh, you know, the we've made incredible progress and we're not very far along. <laughs> there's there's like it, it you know, I, I the example I use in the um, in the essay was, you know, what happens when we can hack intelligence? If you if you as a parent could choose to increase the um, the IQ of your child by ten points, would you do it? And um, and the fact is, we have not that much knowledge about IQ and how that relates to the genome or potential environmental factors. It's incredibly complex, and it will take a while. But my point is that it's still a um, it's merely a problem of difficulty. It's hard, but it's solvable. And it's um, the more you have technologies like CRISPR, the more tools you have in your tool chest to learn about the problem and figure out what it means. You can, uh, without experimenting on human beings, by the way, you can, you the way we, the way we learn so much about humanity without doing unethical experiments is we can, we can experiment with animals and look at mice and see what sort of improvements in intellectual capacity we can make by editing the genome of 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 mice or other animals and eventually we will we will figure that out it's not and i guess that's my main message here to all the biologists who are already pissed off at me for not understanding their field is that it doesn't matter it's inevitable that we will make progress and that um i, I like I find it extremely unlikely that there's sort of unsolvable problems in how genes are expressed. It is a code. It is repeatable. <laughs> the experiments are repeatable and we will gain the knowledge. It's merely like we in programming, we say it's a simple matter of programming here. It is too, but it's a matter of time and programming. <laughs> you just, you're going to need time. And it's different than the non-determinism of the uh, atomic level. I think, like maybe that's maybe that's the investment that yeah, you we're not make dealing with right quantum now. mechanics here, we're, right? And and by the way, quantum mechanics is pretty damn deterministic <laughs> in an indeterministic way. Like the the predictions that quantum mechanics makes are incredibly reliable and. And that's why the macro world is so deterministic, by the way. <laughs> it's that, that reliability gives us the determinism of the right. macro world. Right, the macro world, including the lower levels of biology that we're getting into. So, Absolutely. Uh, so CRISPR stands for, it's an acronym, C-R-I-S-P-R. It stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. And... This is the editing technology that, as you say, gives unprecedented power to genetic engineers. And CRISPR itself refers to these repeated clusters of these strange nucleotide sequences in DNA. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a mist, like the whole labeling. I mean, it's kind of a cool name, CRISPR, but like it's a, like CRISPR, as I point out in the essay, is not real. It doesn't really refer to the editing technology. Right. It just refers to these, these, these um, uh, these nucleotides that are repeated in <laughs> in um, 
in originally in viral DNA, which was really just a clue on the path to discovering the editing technology, which uses right. which uses these enzymes called these Cas enzymes. So really, the technology is CRISPR Cas, right? Together, yeah. putting those two those two concepts together. Um, and I don't guess no one came up with a better name than CRISPR, so we all call it CRISPR. But that that so that that weird that weird acronym, which will you know I think someday be completely forgotten because who cares that they're regularly interspaced or that they're short or that they're palindromic? It just doesn't matter. So, so CRISPR these these uh, clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats of DNA. This was originally found in bacterial DNA. Explain why this encoding sequence indicated something that was actually quite useful for the bacteria. What was their useful function? Yeah. You know, it all goes back to this incredible, epic battle being fought on a daily, hourly, um, by-the-minute and second, um, this, this battle between bacteria and phages, which are viruses that attract bacteria. You know, bacteria were, were all their, they were the only life game in town for 2 billion years before there was multicellular cellular life. So the, during that time, there was still evolution and, and viruses and viruses would attack um, bacteria and bacteria developed defense mechanisms. And and it turns out that CRISPR was one of those defense mechanisms. This guy, Eugene Koonin kind of my understanding is that he had the first insight you know these 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 clustered repeats these crispr repeats were discovered in bacterial dna long ago by these japanese researchers but they didn't know what they were for and kunin kind of said i think they're a defense mechanism and it turns out that that bacteria have developed a rudimentary uh, um, immune system and even though CRISPR is very sophisticated, it turns out, you know, our immune system is incredible, right? We have, we have armies. They don't quite have that. But what they do have is the ability to recognize certain invaders and to attack them and kill them, essentially. If you can think of it, and it's a weird, we're, we're talking uh, terms that perhaps suffer from a lack of real accuracy because I don't know if you can talk about killing a virus. I don't even know what, because it's not really alive, but they're making it, they're rendering it inactive. And so, so it turns out that, that what bacteria can do is chop up a virus, take its DNA and put, and by the way, virus and phage, I'll use interchangeably and put that DNA into its own DNA sequence. And using these Cas enzymes, it can grab that DNA put it into like this package with RNA, go wandering around its its cell. And if it bumps into DNA that matches, these Cas enzymes have molecular scissors that chop up that DNA and kill it, essentially. So what a cool defense mechanism. It just turns out that that defense mechanism, that, that chop chop that it does is basically what you need to do to edit DNA. And it was is these you know again this brilliant insight by by um, folks like Jennifer Doudna and and um, and Emmanuel Charpentier at Berkeley and Feng Zhang at at the Broad Institute at Harvard and MIT that figured this out and mm. and created 
CRISPR. And by the way, they're all creating CRISPR companies now, which is really, really fascinating. Oh yeah, they're all they've they, you know, there's public CRISPR companies already yeah. and they're they're um they're all like sort of in 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 essence in competition with one another to commercialize this technology. It's gonna be an epic battle of its of of its own <laughs> um to to see who who manages to um to really commercialize Surely this. not a winner-take-all battle. I would, you know, I would think not. I, I mean, it, it it's a little sad for me, I guess, that it's that it's um, an intellectual property battle. I think intellectual property has 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 uh, unfortunately, although it's been an incredible thing for innovation, can be a real break in innovation. But CRISPR, this sort of editing technology, it kind of feels to me like. Like VI, although people have complained it's nothing like VI, but it feels to me like something that like anyone should just be able to use it <laughs> to to do what you know if you to do whatever you want, and and maybe it's sort of that way. But the people are 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 issuing the the U.S. Patent Office is issuing patents they issued one already, um, and there's a battle between sort of the Berkeley folks and the broad folks, oh, and the broad folks wow. won the first first round, and they were all working on this company. Editas together, which is a public company, but now Dobna has split off and founded her own company, and Charpentier has split off and found her own company, and so um, and so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But mm. you know, one of the things is people. One of the things that happens when you form companies is that people start to pour money into them, and and you know that means that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, that you, we're going to start to see things happen. There, right. there are companies well, being formed. I need to do more shows in the in the in the legal area because I mean this is sort of like the same question I mean well similar question I don't want to say the same because we'll see what the court proceedings bear out but it's like a similar question to the self-driving stuff like d- to what degree did Uber steal the lidar technology and to what degree is this stuff just like common knowledge at this point where uh, I don't know. I mean, these seem like related questions. Um, totally. I mean, think about think about look what's happening. Like, voice is another great example where that happened, right? There was Nuance who owned everything, and Microsoft who owned everything, and there's these epic battles. There was ba- even back when I was at Yahoo, there was a battle. Um, actually, just after I left, where folks we had hired to to look at voice from Nuance, and there's that had intellectual property issues, and there were suits and. That these are some of the the core technologies that are going to drive the future. There's going to be amazing battles around each and every one of them, from self-driving to you know augmented reality. There were around search back in the day, and there will be around CRISPR, and there will be around every one of these um, these transformative technologies for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of can of worms opening up here, and I need to do some other shows around different topics, but just so, so the listeners get an overview of what CRISPR is. Um, so you mentioned this this process of a bacteria is, you know, there's a, this never-ending war between bacteria and bacteriophages, and the bacteria, in order to have a self-defense mechanism against the bacteriophage, chops up the DNA of a virus that it has defeated and it inserts it into its own DNA so that it can use it as a template to recognize viruses in the future. Exactly. And the, the, the technology that we can build around this is essentially we repurpose this, this, this uh, labeling and cutting mechanism uh, and it, the labeling, cutting, and insertion mechanism to be able to edit 
it generic so this is generically applicable we can apply this to human dna and um and basically any anything any any sort of animal um well that's like that's sort of like the epiphany i had way back when which was that if you think about it almost every living thing starts from exactly the same point you have a cell which is at least in the animal kingdom pretty much identical with a slightly different code on the inside and the result of that code is a radically different machine which by the way sort of self-manufactures itself um, in every case and the variety of machines it can create is extraordinary from human beings and the human brain which is the most complex device we know about in the universe thus far to tiny flying machines and large flying machines it's it's amazing and that code is editable by in in essentially to my understanding every case by crispr we have been given this incredible tool to allow us to essentially make that code whatever we want now we don't necessarily have the knowledge yet to be able to make it things that are useful and useful can be thought very broadly useful could be something dangerous and horrible or useful can be something wonderful um but um just to do something that matters is a little bit beyond our capability in every mm. in every case but we do know a lot of things that we can do with this with editing technology we know that we know for example we know a whole bunch of diseases that are determined by single gene errors that's sort of a piece of cake mm. for um for crispr and when you find things like you can determine which genes confer immunity to diseases for example hiv you could edit that and create that or for example um if you know what genes are the ones that make solid cancers immune to our immune system <laughs> allow them to fight off our immune system and you can change those you can then allow our immune system to defeat the cancer right. these are all real applications of crispr that we're going to see in the, in the short term that the um the ability of crispr to be broadly applicable i think is its most extraordinary feature and broadly applicable in in in, in multiple dimensions in the set of uh of different organisms in which it works from mosquitoes to human beings and the set of applications within each of those organisms that it can apply to now crispr itself only allows for modifications of one gene at a time one organism at a time if we wanted to do what you call a species level change, we need additional technology. I explain why that is. I believe what you said is not quite correct, that you can actually okay. use CRISPR to modify multiple genes at a time. Um, but the, the, the limitation, if you want to call it a limitation, mm. is that is that just changing those genes in, in you, for example, um, let's say you suffer from 
um, macular degeneration, and that's a genetically predicated disease, and that we can fix that by going into your eye, by placing CRISPR into your eye and changing all the the DNA in your retina to no longer have that gene and therefore no longer express whatever gets expressed to cause macular degeneration. Unfortunately, if your children, uh, if you have chil- if you subsequently have children, they'll still have that gene. Um, and because the, 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 the DNA in your, in your eyeball does not get passed along to your, to future generations. However, if you, if you use CRISPR to change, um, the, um, either sperm or eggs, then you actually can affect future generations. And that is something that CRISPR can do, um, the the reason I brought up gene drive is because uh, it it just makes the impact. It, it's it's a multiplier on the impact because if if you change your reproductive DNA, the DNA in your sperm, to to to, to do something different, it it only has a fifty percent chance in each subsequent generation of being expressed in your uh, being present in in your offspring. Gene drive changes those odds essentially and um and the gene drive that um kevin asphalt created essentially can get that close to 100 percent um and there's a lot of complexity there as to as to how effective it can be and and the the <laughs> and and as again biologists will point out that biology is complicated and there's 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 ways that that um that a, a, a crispr created gene drive can can run into into barriers, but those I think are are again amenable to to rigorous hard work to overcome. And what that means is that you can get characteristics, genetically derived characteristics, to spread throughout a population with startling rapidity. Um, probably won't be used so much in human beings as it will be in in other species that reproduce more rapidly, like mosquitoes. Uh, for example, which was the where where asphalt was was first experimenting, so that you could, for example, create a mosquito population that could no longer carry malaria. Right. So I, I understand what you're saying, and um, and again, I, I I I'll forgive you if you uh, if you don't know the answer to this question. I clearly need <laughs> to have some some people who are total experts in this field on the show. I actually yes. think it's a good. It's a, you know. Side note, I actually think it's a good. When I start to do a series of shows, I actually I think it's sometimes good to start with a non-expert, like somebody that's just sort of an external ex- observer, because they're a little better at bridging the gap between the layman and the uh, advanced shows. Uh, so, so I think this actually makes a lot of sense. But tell me, by tell the me way, you, by the way, it's especially hard in in um, in biology and biotechnology because if you talk to folks, it's it's very easy to get lost in the in the, <laughs> not just the terminology because you know everyone is jargon there's right lots and, lots and lots of jargon and lots and lots and lots of acronyms but it, it is actually incredibly complex how this stuff works and right you know well, I, I, I mean it's very I, useful I, I, to pull back but there is this these underlying levels of complexity that it's you're right it's sometimes helpful not even to know about i, I fully understand how if you change the the at the sperm or the egg level you change the dna and then it and then mitosis takes care of replicating the change to dna as time goes on in the organism and then it's also changed in the offspring of that organism but if i'm a fully grown human and my phenotype includes some kind of macular 
degeneration. I think that's the term. Uh, like, how do you change the gene? Or how do you change all of the cells in my eye with CRISPR? Do you like spray my eye with the CRISPR juice, or do you have to insert something, or is it a surgical procedure? Is there is there a way to to do that in a in a fully developed human? Yeah, uh, and people are developing them right now. Uh, the, the I think the question you're asking is, what's the delivery mechanism? <laughs> right, and people are developing those as we speak. We're actually. Um, funding companies <laughs> that are creating delivery mechanisms at YC. So it's a good question. How do you get the CRISPR inside the gene? But um, uh, I think I'll, I'll – I'm not an expert at that, but I will leave it to <laughs> okay. that that you might as well think about it as spraying the eye with CRISPR. <laughs> and, and it gets inside the cells and does its stuff. And there are definitely um, ways to do that. Um, there are ways to get uh, – um, chemicals, enzymes, um, packages across cell barriers. And once you do that, there are ways, you know, th- then it can it can go do its stuff. So yeah, there, there are ways to get CRISPR inside. Um, and, and that wasn't a made up case. People are trying to, to, to create CRISPR systems that will, um, that will correct things like macular degeneration. Of course, you know, it would be better if you could, if it, if it was indeed a genetic disease that you just got rid of it first before it's in your DNA. And that's why um, changing the DNA of, um, of you know, that's undergone meiosis is the, in the sperm or the egg can make sense. But it's ethically incredibly challenging, right? Where, where exactly is the consent to modify the, the DNA of a person that isn't born yet? And, you know, a couple of, Chinese researchers did some experiments on human embryos using CRISPR and indeed um, changed the DNA in a way that it would have been, um, it had those embryos. They were non-viable embryos, so there was never any possibility of this. But had the embryos been viable and had they grown into human beings, their DNA would have been generational DNA and those changes would have been generational. And it was very controversial, even though they were non-viable, just because, you know, there's all sorts of questions. Consent is, is one of them about, about whether it's ethical to change the genome of a, of a, of a human being before they're a human being. And, uh, and I think those are complex questions. I actually, in one sense, though, think it, from the perspective and uniquely from the perspective of whether the technology goes forward and whether people try that or not, it doesn't matter. People will try it. I think, and that doesn't mean that the ethical considerations don't matter. I think they're incredibly important, but, but like I, the, the Pandora's box has been opened and it's very hard to contain a technology like this once it's out there. And so I, I think it would be very naive for us to think that, that, um, Whatever, whatever ethical restraints we put on ourselves will be enforced. Well, many elsewhere. of those, many of those questions are going to be sidestepped because there's plenty of things that you can do with people who have some horrible genetic malady that they're willing to do any sort of experimentation. I mean, this is that, that that's in the post-developed uh, human being area of things but you know even if you're talking about the developmental side of things the or the gene drive uh experiments that you would want to be doing on an on an embryo it doesn't even have to be a human i mean you can do this kind of stuff on a 
a monkey embryo or on a mouse embryo and and right. you know it's not right. like that it's not like that totally sidesteps the ethical questions but it at least reduces the uh the passion around them to a level that's not at the uh, abortion abortion level controversy well, a case in point i believe the the those chinese researchers had something like a 28% hit rate in other words their 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 crisperization of these embryos failed Ooh. 72% of the time Ugh. which sounds pretty bad although getting 28% to work is is something i mean you know if if you're doing ivf that 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 rate sounds about right but but further advances in their techniques were tried in mouse embryos and my understanding is they were 100% accurate 100% successful so <clears throat> so you know the science is advancing all the time and and incredibly rapidly and i think the hardest thing to keep track of will be the set of things that crispr is being used for there's going to be thousands of applications hmm. um crispr can be used as i was saying before on disease vectors. CRISPR can be used potentially as a, a kind of um, an, you know, super antibiotic. CRISPR can be used to fight cancer. Um, CRISPR could be used to create biofuels and to create more efficient crops or, or, or crops that have defense mechanisms against uh, disease, their own disease vectors. So, uh, like, just keeping track. Like, once you have an editing tech, it's sort of, it's sort of like you know, software trying to keep track of all the things you can do with software. Right. Because once you can edit the software, you know, it it, it goes from the set of things that you can research as a biotechnologist uh, for your PhD has just expanded. Many, many fold. Likewise, the set of companies you can create and the set of um, things you can that are approachable now that were never approachable before, solvable, is extraordinary. That's why right. it's such an important technology and has been recognized as, as so transformative. But I just, you know, I think it's a sort of separate orthogonal to all that will be that someone's going to try to change human beings with this. In, in fundamental ways. You know, I just think there's this theme. Um, uh, Yuval Harari has written about this, I think, um, eloquently in... in, um, in, in Homo Deus. Cities, but especially in Homo Deus. Oh, right. About the fact that that um, that we, we might... I, I don't know if you have kids. I do. But it might sort of be the last generation yeah. of Homo sapiens, the way we think of Homo sapiens. There's this... There's these three forces that are going to, I think, change humanity forever. And one is CRISPR and one is AI and mm -hmm. the other is human augmentation, which is, mm -hmm. which is kind of connected. And, you know, this is a train that has left the station. This uh -huh. is going to happen. And I, you know, I tell my kids, you're, you're like, you have, you are living in probably the most interesting time, incredible time ever. You may be able to achieve immortality. You yeah. may be able to change your bodies and your children in ways that had never been thought of before. Well, it's probable uh, at this point. And it, it, you know, and it's. I think the only argument might be whether it's whether it's this generation or the next generation. You know, what what it, are we talking? Ten years, twenty years, or fifty years? I don't know, but. But 
the um, that's, that, the time frames are not long. Yeah, and I mean that's why. Like, frankly, I'm just not really even thinking. I mean, when I talk to people about having kids or not, I mean, I'm just sort of like it's kind of a moot point. Like that's sort of like sure. <laughs> I mean, there it would be fun to have kids, and it would also be fun to just have complete independence as we begin to explore this crazy frontier. But in any case, it doesn't really matter because even the the idea of of individual human beings is going to be a moot point in like thirty to fifty years. Um. I don't know. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I, I know what that means. And I, I think, you know, um, you know, one of the points that Harari makes is that it, you know, it it's sort of like um, pre-humans, chimpanzees or, right. or gorillas trying to imagine how we approach problems and what, what, what sort of things we're solving for us to try to imagine what the the next set of thinking beings is, are going to be preoccupied with but um but i don't know that that there's there's any like some things i find are inevitable like i, I find it inevitable that that these changes we've been talking about will happen i don't know that it's inevitable that we'll lose the concept of individuality hmm. you know the the reason is is that that still one of the deepest mysteries is um, the one of consciousness. Right. And, you know, I suspect that, you know, we were talking about sort of how the complexity of biology, and I, I find it hard to imagine that there's complexities of biology that are not amenable to, to human intellectual um, approaches and understanding mm -hmm. so yeah. that, that, that we can open them up. I, I don't I don't think that's so likely. It's possible, but I don't think it's so likely. But consciousness, you know, there might be unknowables there. I, I don't know that because that, there's this subjective quality to it that might be difficult to get at. And it just might be true that 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 um that we'll be able to know everything there is to know about consciousness and that and that and maybe AI will be will help us figure that out if we can create consciousness on a different substrate than on a brain, then we'll probably understand it fairly well. That being said, we don't even understand why deep learning does what it does. So I'm, I'm not. It's not so obvious to me that human beings in our current intellectual capacity will be able to do that. I mean, we we might just run run into limits that we don't understand yet, but. Consciousness and individuality are obviously tightly intertwined, and whether we have to, whether it's inevitable that we we have to let go of that individuality, even just because we're connected in a much more tight, tightly um, understood fashion to other consciousnesses, isn't so clear to me. I wonder sometimes, like, how much of this kind of stuff can I talk about? Because it's almost like one of these things, you know, it's like that that Paul Graham piece what you can't say it's like can you can you even talk about this stuff at the dinner table these days right that you know at the thanksgiving dinner table without making people like really upset and uncomfortable that you're questioning the nature of humanity in this lifetime um so how that's i mean i think i think that goes back to the 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 point i was making earlier that people are getting nervous right i just think that you know, and, and this may be a step too far, but I think if you look at from Brexit to Trump to to the recent French election, yeah, the the way populations are just like you know, people are freaking nervous. out. 
people are freaking out. And, and I, I really do think so. I think that, you know, I, I sort of felt in 2008 during the financial crisis that sort of one of the fundamental underpinnings of the world that I had sort of I made some assumptions about like, that that it was like that they kind of knew what they were doing efficient like markets like like it was all kind of like and I realized that that's not so much and I, I and there was this unsettling that happened right it's like that could happen again like what's stopping it like we're just going and going you know we haven't gotten really any smarter we're not you know we're just we're, we're just going to do some regulations and then a bunch of people say oh those regulations suck we need to get rid of them and we'll get rid of those regulations and and we'll be there again it's the same thing right people are nervous and freaking out and and i i think you know i think you can have these conversations and people don't quite know what to make of it mm-hmm. like when you tell people oh yeah this is like this could be the last generation of human beings which <laughs> sounds like you know, that's that's like the guy walking around with the placard saying the end is near. Yeah. Like like that's crazy talk. And it might be maybe not crazy talk, but not this gen- like it could be wrong. But but it's not wrong for long. So I, I do I think people like like normally when, when people act crazy and say crazy things, it makes people nervous and and, and there's enough people saying them now that they're really nervous. Because <laughs> who knows, you know, you know, the sky might just be falling. Yeah, so it almost doesn't matter like how you personally are updating your societal norms. It's more like um, just like how do you? St- I mean, it's almost like uh, this explains like the prepper phenomenon or people talking about prepping, and it's just like there's some crazy stuff going on. And, it, and well, it's- well, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing, and uh, I, and um, you know, I was thinking about this as I was reading. Um, Homo Deus, and and you know, he, early on he has this discussion about like what happens when you know as you get to this new level of humanity, and you you can start to think about populating the galaxy, mm-hmm. right? You can, I mean, you can, yeah. You it, and it, you know, the the math is such that it doesn't even take that long. That once you start being able, like, if you can imagine a silicon substrate, or you can imagine humanity being able to to to, to take a whole bunch of different steps, interstellar travel is is not beyond us if you talk about you know time frames that sound crazy now but like you talk about hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years but this begs the incredibly important question that Enrico Fermi asked right (laughs) which is where are they all where is everybody why haven't we seen anyone because we're not that young in in the universe the universe has been around for 14 billion years right and so if this is sort of a natural evolution and life is common how come other folks hasn't haven't sort of spread out throughout the galaxy or if they have how come we've never met them or how come they're hiding from us or or maybe there there isn't anyone so either i mean there's a there's a few assumptions you have to make there but maybe the most popular is that there's a great filter right which is that like you make it to this stage and then something bad happens and uh, you know so you know the preppers are, are are maybe they wouldn't put it quite this way but they're they're thinking that there really is a filter for sure <laughs> that something bad's gonna happen, for sure right and, and and 
and it's 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 uh i mean i i i don't say prepper in in any sort of derogatory term i, I do yeah. think like the when you get to the fermi question you're you're on grounds where it's equally plausible that the others are invisible or they you know completely transcend the you know the the world the world that we can sense or we're in a simulation or any one of these different like things i think those are all equally plausible i think probabilistically if there's lots and lots of life out there, I mean, if life if life actually is um, fairly common in the universe, and that um, and it's not that unusual for technology to be developed, then I think it's quite surprising that we haven't seen any indication of it at all, at all, ever, nothing, right? Essentially, that's surprising to me, and so um, it feels like. There, there's something wrong in that equation. <laughs> it just doesn't. Uh, like, I don't. I don't know about plausibility, but it just you know because if that were true, then there would have been very very ancient um, species that would have gotten as far as us and probably would have tried to go out through, you know to expand throughout the galaxy well, and uh, so they probably would have found us. Yeah, but if you, so, if you take a probabilistic, if you're taking a probabilistic mindset, one problem, I mean, one conclusion I come to sometimes is like. You know, if you're playing in the simulation uh, realm of um, of possibilities, like, you know, if you just look at humanity and it's like, wow, you know, just like as you're talking to your kids and you're saying today is literally the most exciting time you could live in. Well, if somebody were going to build a simulate, like if, if, if a human, if a future world of humans was going to build a simulation uh, to simulate people like us, the most fun simulation would be the reality today as far as we understand it uh which it could i don't know it's this gets into uh <laughs> pretty far yeah. removed stuff so i don't you know, know that's you know for what it's worth that's kind of my my interpretation of of quantum mechanics mm. is that is is that um it, that quantum mechanics for me increases the likelihood that this is a simulation right and, and, the, and what all those probabilities means is just a, it's a it's a shortcut it's sort of it's um you know uh it, it's delayed calculation of of um <laughs> of, of things that a software programmer did so that they, they didn't have to you know decide <laughs> where all the locations were all the time you don't care until you have to care it's just it, you know that's that's why we're in a simulation but right oh well yeah yeah, well, I mean, and, and, uh, yeah, okay. Well, so um, let's get back to reality as we close off uh, this interview. So, the, you know, you are doing some investment in CRISPR. What are the company? Can you talk about some of the companies that you've invested in? Well, a few. Uh, it turns out that um, well, I'll, I'll mention I'll mention a couple. Um, a lot of them are, are, are so new like in our current batch that I can't really talk about. Sure. Um, one of the interesting ones is a company called Benchling, um, and. Uh, and Benchling is is uh, Sajith will kill me for saying this, but they're 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 sort of not they're they're maybe a little on the boring side of CRISPR. They just they they enable CRISPR companies, <laughs> so they're not sort of they're not creating a CRISPR technology, but they 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 help people manage all of their 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 DNA, <laughs> and so they're being used by every CRISPR company. So that's essentially a CRISPR company, but. Um, and that's sort of that's core CRISPR infrastructure, if you will. So, um, and in fact, infrastructure is not at all boring. So I'm sorry, Saji. Um, Perlara is uh, a, another example, and um, they're doing something really fascinating. They take organisms 
um, that um, that are in important ways have similarities to to human function and use CRISPR to modify those organisms so that they have rare diseases that appear in human beings. And then they use those organisms to test drug compounds to see what will work on those rare diseases. So that these diseases that are incredibly difficult to deal with, that, that people are loath to spend lots of money on because it's so expensive to find drugs for rare diseases, can be much more if you will, economically approached and, and dealt with. Mm. So um, so that's a really cool company. It's just another way that CRISPR can be used, sort of a, a tangential way, if you will, that CRISPR can be used to help approach diseases that, um, that were just not, you know, that were tickets to either, either a, a foreshortened life, a very difficult life, or... Um, or really no life at all. So, you know, in the so- pure software realm, AWS has removed a lot of the execution risk that you might have had in, in investments in the past, uh, like pre, pre-AWS era. Uh, is there still a lot of execution risk around the, the stuff that CRISPR companies are building on top of? I think it's almost certainly true that the, the, execu- the, the execution risk... Um, that has been. Re- it's important to start with what the execution is that's been removed, that CRISPR has removed, which is that it used to be incredibly time-consuming and way too expensive to do the kind of edits that could have substantive impact. And so you had scientists sort of wasting years of their life trying to do this, and you know sometimes coming up empty and sometimes not getting nearly as far along as they wanted to, and, and just huge long periods of time and CRISPR makes it fast cheap accurate easy so that that problem is mostly been solved what hasn't been solved and the and the the real execution risk that still exists is that you know we're talking about for the most part for a lot of these things uh technologies want they want to change human beings um cure human beings, impact human beings. And so you have to go through um, FDA approval. And that's still hard and slow and risky. Um, so you have, to do, you have to do trials. You have to do careful trials because these technologies, you know, have the potential to do harm as well as incredible good. So we want to be, the companies will have to be careful. We want a society to be careful. That's why the way, by, by the way, why Prolara is so genius because um it, it, it's it's found a way to nuance that so that you can do the drug discovery of drugs that already exist in organisms you don't need to get fda approval to to change to crisprize those organisms and you can solve disease that way which is really cool so you can you can move very quickly to market but so but you know that that risk that infrastructural risk probably shouldn't go away and and, and hasn't all right, Jeff. Well, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. This was a really great, wide-ranging conversation. I, I really enjoyed having you on. Hey, I enjoyed it a lot, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Thanks.